I just love that this passage starts with somebody interrupting Jesus. Don't we love being interrupted when they're in the middle of something? Lord, tell um, my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, the man might have just cause for his request, but of course, during the time of Jesus, the eldest son would receive 100% of someone's inheritance. So he's asking Jesus to break the rules. And you would think Jesus is a rule breaker. Jesus breaks rules all the time in the Gospels. Um, But that's not what Jesus does. He says to to this man, what's the deal with you? Who made me the judge over all you people? Who elected me king of the universe? We want Jesus to be fair, but Jesus doesn't seem to be fair. It seems like Jesus has better things to do than to deal with family squabbles. And then it would be one thing if Jesus went on his way, but instead Jesus does what he does best. He tells a story. There's a man who had it all. At first he had enough cash to to fill his house with all sorts of trinkets and wares that serve only one purpose, to show other people how wealthy he was. Started with some paintings, then he ran out of wall space, and then he redid his wardrobe, and then his closet was full, and then he bought an extra luxury car, and he didn't have room in the garage. What was he going to do? But he had a vision. Ah, why not tear it all down and build an even bigger house so he can fit even more stuff inside? And that's what he did. And then it came to pass, after months of deconstruction and reconstruction, differing architectural bids and various contractors, he looked at all he had, and he said to himself, Ah, you've done well, old boy. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry. Suddenly, there's the booming voice from the heavens that shatters all the new glass that he put in all of his new windows. You fool. You're about to die. And all these things you have, all these things you care about, whose will they be? Wow, Jesus could tell a story. I mean, I don't even need to preach the rest of the sermon. I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon, but I don't even need to preach the rest of the sermon because you all know exactly where this is going. I mean, it's such a good story. And yet, I don't know if it's worked. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if we've actually changed all that much in response to this particular parable. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, the thing that he talked about more than anything else was wealth. More than any other subject, wealth. And for good reason. We're just as obsessed with what we have now as we were back then. Even a couple hundred years ago, John Wesley, his great quote, he said, in seeking happiness from riches, you were striving to drink out of empty cups. In striving to seek happiness from riches, you were drinking out of empty cups. And there's this great irony in this parable that Jesus tells, this parable we call of the rich fool, because we all know that it's true, and yet we all act like it isn't. It is a bona fide fact that you can't take anything with you when you die. But that hasn't stopped us from trying. I was at a funeral home. I won't say what funeral home it was, but I was at a funeral home once, and I overheard a funeral director talking to a family, and they said, well, don't you think your mother would like the memory foam mattress inside of her casket? (laughs) What difference does it make? I mean, I wanted to shout, are you out of, they're dead. I don't want to be so crass. They're dead. Only $999.99 for your mother to have eternal rest while she's in her eternal rest. I'm not kidding. This is a true thing that happened. You can go to a funeral home and you can get a casket for $10,000. You can also get a casket that's $50,000. Why? For some reason, we think that we can 
save ourselves with our finances. Everything in the world runs on avarice, extreme greed. Even in the church, sad to say, this desire for material goods, for abundance of possessions, it's the lie we're fed as children. It's the lie we give to our children. It's reinforced with every magazine cover, every Instagram post, every commercial. Happiness is yours if you can afford it. And it's all one big lie. And we can't help ourselves. Happiness is yours if you can just afford it. The world tells us again and again that we are defined by our bank accounts, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive. But in the kingdom of God, it's through poverty, not wealth, that God saves us. Paul says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though fully God did not regard divinity as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. God emptied God's self, being born in human likeness, to die even for someone like you. Why does God do this? Why does God give fully of God's self? Because we need all the help we can get. Because we're so stuck in this cycle of greed. The good news, though, is that whether we're rich or poor, or we're somewhere in between, all of us are sin-sick with our insatiable desire for more, and God has come to offer us something different. And it's not just more. I mean, it's like more, more, more. Every year on a Black Friday, I look forward to, kind of awfully, I look forward to seeing the news reports of people getting stampeded because my 55-inch television isn't big enough anymore. I need the 60-inch television that I'm only getting off for $100 by going in the middle of the night to Best Buy to get the TV. Someone got trampled at the Best Buy to get a bigger TV. I love that stuff. You know why? Because it's so true. It's so us. We clutch all that is around us rather than ever opening our hands to something else. We'd rather receive than give. We lay awake at night, and if we do, we worry about one thing and only one thing, and it's money. And then Jesus has the nerve to tell us this parable. Notice the man in the story, the rich fool, he does exactly what we do when it comes to greed. We congratulate ourselves on everything we've accomplished. Listen, he only sees himself. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store my grain and my goods. I'll say to my, I mean, over. No, it's just him. He's living in a monologue. And yet all the things we have in this life all the things we think we've earned or deserved, every one of them is actually a gift. We are actually products of what is done for us more than by what we do for ourselves. The self-made person is actually a myth. Truly, completely a myth. Now, Jesus sets this man up as the paradigm for everything we think is good in the world. He's, he's fiscally responsible, he's got a fortune, and yet he is master only of a life that is completely out of his control. The rich fool in this story, he's nothing more than a captain of a ship that's been taking on water since it left the dock. He lives only for himself. He talks only to himself. He sees only himself. And the Lord tells him he's a fool. He's foolish because no matter how much he talks to himself and no matter how much he congratulates himself, rejoices in himself, he neglects to recognize that in the story, his crops, maybe in today, his stock portfolio, whatever the good thing he thinks he has is a gift given to him. And gifts require givers. The land that our food comes from, the institutions that give us the space and the knowledge to grow, families that give us our basic needs, friends that support us in days of time and grief and pain, churches that can be there for us when we need it most, all these things in our life 
We are who we are because of what is done for us, not because of what we do for ourselves. And yet, we are far more possessed by what we think we possess. Our possessions actually possess us. We keep acquiring more and more, hoping that we can control our lives. We spend our lives pursuing wealth, material and immaterial, only in the end to come to the greatest poverty of all, death. I mean, Jesus' parable ends with this final frightening note, one that lingers even after the Lord calls us fools. No matter how much we make, no matter how much we accumulate, every one of us dies in the end. John Ortberg tells this story about how he learned to play the game of Monopoly with his grandmother. Have any of you ever played Monopoly with your grandmother? I play with mine. She always whoops my hide. I stopped playing a long time ago. Now, John Ortberg tells this story about how his grandmother taught him how to play Monopoly, taught him the ins and outs of, of how to plan and how to get your houses and then build hotels and all these sorts of things. And every time he played with his grandmother, she would whoop his butt. Always, always. And until one day... He finally beat his grandmother at Monopoly, and he danced around the living room. He was so excited. He couldn't believe his good fortune. They finally beat his grandmother at Monopoly, and then she said to him, John, don't you forget that when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. (laughs) All the money, property, houses, hotels, they were never really his. They were in the box before he started, and they were in the box after he was done. A challenging aspect of our faith is our profound willingness to stare death right in the face. It's why we have a cross in our sanctuary. We know better than most that the moments are fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Though we have sinned, we have mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. We know that. Deep in our bones, even if we don't act like it, we know it. We know that the bell will toll for us. The question is, when it does, what's going to happen with all of our stuff? And even that, the hour and our stuff, it betrays the Christian sensibility that all that we think is ours, money, possessions, talents, whatever, they are given to us as gifts by God who trusts us to be good stewards with what we've been given. I mean, this... This church is a remarkable thing. 100 years old. Last year on All Saints, I, I, I kind of manipulated the kids during the traditional service. I made them come and I read the names on every placard on the window and I asked the kids if any of them knew any of those people. Of course the kids didn't know, but neither did any of the adults in the sanctuary. You know why? Because these people died 80 years ago. But the church wouldn't be here were it not for them. That's a remarkable thing to be surrounded by literally a cloud of witnesses every time we come into a place like a sanctuary. People 100 years ago gave of their gifts to build this place, and we get the benefit of it. That's a remarkable, remarkable thing to be part of something that started long before we were here. Even today, the church is a product of your stewardship. Your gifts make the church possible. The gifts of your time being here, praying for the church, the gifts of your talents, singing with the band, being present, being on a committee, all those different things, all the gifts of your finances. Giving is normative in discipleship. It's how we live into God's mission of transforming the world. And yet, of course, there's a literal application too. It's because of your giving that this sanctuary can be warm in the winter. 
and cool in the summer. It's how we're able to open up our building to so many outside groups that use it. It's how we pay the salaries that provide for our church employees and their families so that they can have livable incomes, so they can exist in the world, all these different things. Because we give, it's how we live into God's wild and even at times foolish, at least according to the world, gospel of Jesus. One thing I know to be true is that every parable is less about us and more about Jesus. The parables are stories that Jesus tells about himself because Jesus is the one who doesn't store up his life on earth, but instead gives it. Rather than clinging to his own life by building up yet another barn to remain, he mounts the hardwood of the cross for people who don't deserve it. I could have stopped preaching 10 minutes ago. I, I know that deep in my bones. I also like to feel like I have a job here, so it's important to be able to keep preaching. But the parable, even if I had nothing to say about it, if you just read the story, it stings. It is frightening. It's perfect for the month of October. It's a little spooky. It's great for stewardship campaign, you know? We're thinking about money in the church. But this is actually a parable of profound good news. I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it a hundred more times. If the good news doesn't sound like good news, then it ain't good news. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not our money or our lack of it, not our possessions or our minimalism, not our goodness or our badness, not our lives, not even our deaths. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, we might not see it or even believe it, but there is greater wealth in the salvation of Christ than in every bank account in the world. And the best news is it's free for you. For me, it's not cheap, it's not even expensive. It is free. Free for you and me and every fool the world will ever see. I said this a couple weeks ago. You could put your entire life savings in the offering plate on Sunday morning and God would not love you any more or any less. That's how wild the gospel is. It might make the church a heck of a lot more fun. We do more things, get more employees, build, expand. We do a lot of stuff with more money, but it doesn't earn you anything. What God has given to you is far more than you can ever give back to God. Which is why I love that quote again from John Wesley. He said, in seeking happiness from riches, you were only striving to drink out of empty cups. But we worship the God who never stops giving. In the 23rd Psalm, a psalm that most people know, my cup runneth over, my cup overfloweth, that's because God gives. The only question is, what are we gonna do with what God has given us? What are we gonna do with what God has given us? So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.